I don't think this should be shameful. I'm not ashamed of my ADHD or my anxiety or like all the struggles that I've been through or anything. You make mistakes as like a human being, then you learn from it and then you evolve and then you become a better person. And owning up to things that you have made mistakes about in the past or like things that you fucked up on and being vulnerable and being able to curse and being able to be authentically yourself. I'm, I feel like when we have these conversations, we do create value. And if someone else out there hears this conversation and it brings them some sort of comfort or connection and they feel less alone. I feel like that's basically the message that we want to put out into the world. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. This is episode 38 in which I interview Nellie Lynn and Juno Lee. This is the first time I interviewed two women at once, but it felt fitting since they are the co-hosts of one of my absolute favorite ADHD-related podcasts, Two Addies and a Coffee, Please. Nellie and Juno are two Asian-American women who have been friends for over a decade and struggled with undiagnosed ADHD for the majority of their lives. After many conversations on their shared struggles and their subsequent ADHD diagnoses, they were inspired to create a podcast to share their authentic stories about anxiety, ADHD, bipolar, and a host of other topics. Listening to their podcast is an emotional roller coaster, and I always come away so fired up and inspired. They are so articulate and they oscillate between intense topics like burnout within the Asian American community, the myth of the model minority, anti Asian hate crimes, hypersexualization of Asian women, and they also talk about their work life and relationships and their amazing friendship with the speed and agility of two 20-something women with ADHD dropping F-bombs and giggling the whole time. I feel like their energy just leaps out of my phone every time I listen to them. In this interview, we talk about their diagnosis journeys and what it's like to talk so openly about so many taboo topics as they try to normalize how our society views mental health, especially within the Asian American community. Without further ado, here is my interview with Nellie and Juno. Enjoy. I just want to say, like, I fucking love your podcast. <laughs> like, I And you can tell I've been, li- whenever I'm listening to your podcast, because every third word that comes out of my mouth is fuck. I'm like, oh my God, who fucking wants dinner? Oh, you know, and you're just like, ah, oh, we're out of fucking milk again. Like, I, you just, I get so fired up listening to your email or listening to your podcast I just I I fucking love that I I love it so much so I have to get that out of the way I know you guys were in high school together right and um Juno you were diagnosed first right is that correct and then you basically called Nelly and you were like guess what we have (laughs) (laughs) yeah I, I think it was one of our conversations um, that we've ha- been having for a while, for many years, I think, uh, talking about our p- chronic procrastination and like crazy, like miracles at the, right before deadlines. And I think one of us made a joke about high functioning ADHD and we found an article that described it. And I was like, holy shit, like, this is us. And she was like, oh my God. And then we scheduled uh, appointments with our psychiatrist. And I think by then we read about it like so much that we were already like pretty, pretty solidly like self-diagnosed, I think, um, <laughs> around the same time before my appointment though. <laughs> Right. I think most of us are before we even get to the doctor. We probably know more than our medical professional usually by the time we get there because we've done so much research. And you're just like, like, I was so 
you know, just so excited. Like I felt like I was seen for the first time in my life and I had been diagnosed with depression and anxiety and all of these things over my life and nothing ever felt like it fit. And then this was just like, oh my God, everything fits into this little box so neatly. Um, but you, your brother was diagnosed in high school, right? So you kind of knew about it more or less, but it still never really applied to you. Yeah, I, I think it's very strange that like I saw what he did in high school and it was so obvious to me that I didn't have that. I think because of the coping mechanisms I had um, to overcome things or just, I think, hide my dysfunctions. I just repeatedly told myself that like, oh, I, I'm able to do this. I'm functional, I'm functional. I'm just lazy. Um, and I didn't realize all of the stress and the struggle I had to go through to get that done, I just saw the end result and I was like, I'm doing well in school. Like, of course I can't have that. Yeah, right? So what was this article that you read? Do you remember the article, Nelly? <laughs> no, I remember we read a bunch of articles though <laughs> on like Chad and Attitude Magazine. And I also read a bunch of like research journals on PubMed mm. to learn about the scientific basis of like ADHD. So I think I was super interested in really knowing everything about ADHD before I even got diagnosed. Mm-hmm. And was this pandemic related or were you were diagnosed before the pandemic? I was diagnosed a week after Juno. So basically she called me up and was like, <laughs> I have ADHD. I think you should get diagnosed. And I set up a meeting right after our call with a psychiatrist. And within like 30 minutes of talking to the psychiatrist, she was like, yeah, you have ADHD. And I was like, are you sure? Should I go to another center to get checked? And she looked at me and she was like, "That's that won't be necessary. Uh, and then she also like gave me, um, prescribed me Adderall and all of this medication. And in my mind, I was like, maybe she's wrong. I don't need this. But like taking Adderall, it changed my life. And I was like, I do need this. This is so much more helpful. Um, and I actually took a lot of psychology classes in high school. So I already knew about ADHD. So during my senior year in high school, I went to my um, like pediatrician and I told her, I think I might have ADHD, but because I feel like it's so underdiagnosed, um, especially with women and women of color. And I think a lot of Asian families don't talk about mental health at all. So my doctor was also like an Asian background. So she was like, are you sure you have ADHD? I don't think so. And she asked me a bunch of questions like, oh, do you have low grades? And I was like, no. And she was like, can you pay attention to class? I'm like, not really. But she was like, but your grades aren't affected. So it's not a problem. So that got brushed under the rug. And I never thought about it until I started working again full time. Yeah. I think one of the thing I love, one of the many things I love about your conversations is just how well you articulate that masking experience, right? Of like the, the kind of public persona that everybody sees versus what is going on inside of your brain. <laughs> and like, and like, I definitely, I mean, I had a therapist who was diagnosed with ADHD after her son was, and she started like gently suggesting it to me over the years. Like, I think you should look into this um, because I thought I had bipolar. Right. And I actually had never even heard of the term hypomania until listening to your podcast. And oh, like, great. right. And so, you know, but I, I have spoken to like interview with a lot of women who had that same feeling of like, I've got this pendulum of like insane interest in things and manic energy and, you know, late nights and all of those things that you really put yourself into. But then at the same time, like I never related to being hyperactive because I could also just be so paralyzed with like mm -hmm. lethargy and depression. And, and that was the part of me that like became my identity. Like I never really thought about the manic part. Like if you had asked me, like, are you a hyperactive person? I would have been like, no, I like to, I lie on the couch for days. Um, and, and so it's been fascinating to me, like how many people are, how many women kind of 
thought secretly that they had uh, bipolar. Mm. And I don't even really know the difference, between, or at least bipolar two. I don't really know the difference between bipolar two and hypomania. Um, I don't know if you guys do. Oh yeah. I think bipolar uh, requires like uh, depressive episodes. Um, and I think if you just have hypomanic episodes, I'm not, I'm not sure that is bipolar disorder, but. So it's just like basically the manic episodes with no downtime, no exhaustion or anything else. Oh, no, no. I, I think it's not the entire time. I think like you have to have a certain, at least one major hypomanic episode or one major depressive episode in the past year or something. I forgot which type that was for. Um, I should look it up. <laughs> but it's interesting that you say that because for me, it was flipped. I thought there was no way I had bipolar disorder and that everything like depression or lethargy or excitement, that was all like a result of my ADHD issues. Mm. Um, and I think like, yeah, I, I feel like it's difficult to uh, identify what it is because so many coping mechanisms for ADHD require or like results in like some anxiety and depression. <laughs> yeah, that's something I have so much difficulty parsing, you know, like we talk about comorbidities and yet so many comorbidities tend feel like they are really just symptoms of living a life undiagnosed, you know. And sometimes I think that a lot of the symptoms that we have when we are undiagnosed are also like trauma of just being a woman in a mm. fucking misogynist you know, country for the last four years. Like sometimes a lot of this, I feel like, you know, maybe I wouldn't be as, you know, have as much um, sensitivity and like, even like processing, you know, like sometimes I feel like a lot of my sensory processing comes from just like being a woman in society mm. sometimes. I don't know, but I, I often feel like I'm always questioning, like, is this ADHD? Is this not ADHD? And then I'm like, oh, but wait, don't forget about middle school. And then I'm like, oh yeah, okay, I had ADHD. <laughs> I think a lot of my coping mechanisms with like having anxiety and also ADHD is a result of trying to live in this neurotypical world where you have ADHD, but you're not allowed to kind of show that. So I remember just like when you mentioned middle school, I would always say, huh, what? All the time. And then because I was never paying attention or focusing and then kids would make fun of me or teachers would be like, why are you not paying attention? But I would still get the most high grades. So that added to my anxiety of like, oh, now I need to pretend and mask all of these mm -hmm. um, questions I had. So even if I was confused, I wouldn't necessarily ask those questions because I'm like, oh, everyone else knows. So I'm going to mask it. And that gave me a lot of anxiety. So if I was called on the spot, which I was always called on, like <laughs> I hate being cold called, but I was always that kid who was looking around, but then I would be so good at pretending I know what was going on that it ended up being like a strength where I can improv really well and I can be put on the spot and told to speak and I don't know what I'm going to be speaking about but I would act as if I was so confident because of those um, experiences I had in high school middle school and throughout like college so now when I do get called on in meetings I will say something and be so confident and it will be hard for other people to tell when I feel anxious about being called on. Right. I know. I remember giving so many presentations in English lit 
after having read the first chapter and the last like three pages of the book and just getting up there and being like, I'm just going to be really, really confident in whatever the hell is coming out of my mouth. <laughs> and it worked. That was the thing. Like you, I remember Nellie, when the, I think it was the first episode where you were talking about that dichotomy between like realizing how hard you've had to work in your life in a neurotypical world, right? Mm -hmm. Like realizing like, that exhaustion that is always there because you have to, in some ways, work extra hard to do certain things, but at the same time, also feeling like you've never worked hard in your life, you know, mm -hmm. and that you've always half-assed your way through everything. And like, what do you even, like dealing with that? I mean, there's so many oxymorons, I think, with an ADHD diagnosis and identity, but that one just blew my mind, that feeling of like, yes, I am a really hard worker, but then like also deep down feeling like, yeah, but I've also kind of been like slacking my whole life. <laughs> and like, do you feel any more clarity, I guess, or is it just always there? I think for me, it's always there. I think it ties into having imposter syndrome and also being a woman working in a male dominated industry where first of all, I'm young, I am a woman of color. And then I'm always feeling like I can live more up to my potential, but I'm being lazy. But that now I have to remind myself, that's not laziness, that's my ADHD. And it is a disability, whether it's visible or invisible and trying to be kinder to myself and acknowledge like, these are the difficulties that I have. So I try to combat my imposter syndrome, but I think it's still difficult to give myself enough credit that I am working hard. Like I work on the weekends, I work at night after my nine to five job and I stay up late to work. And sometimes I, it takes me a long time to work and people see me working. They're like, oh, you're just on YouTube. You're doing all these things. But in the back of my mind, I'm still thinking about all these projects I'm working on. And I have to cons consistently remind myself that you are trying your best and that's all you can ask for. And trying to force yourself to work like everyone else does when they just sit down and work for six hours straight. I, I can't do that. And it's knowing that I need to work, like say in 30 minute bursts and then like take a break. So I think a lot of this has been a consistent battle for me to give myself enough credit and then also know when to take a break and rest. I know it's so funny. Like I, I worked in newspaper journalism for for many years. And I loved it because it was like, you were always on deadline. You had to get things done. And then at the end of the day, you were just done. You were a clean slate and you came in the next day and you were like, all right, what do you got for me? And so I loved it, but it, there was like, I remember long before I was even diagnosed, sort of coming to that realization of like, why um, procrastination is not a terrible thing. Like I remember being like, I'm not actually procrastinating. It's all up here in my head. Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking about everything and processing and informing it. I just need the urgency of a deadline in order to get it from my brain onto the paper. And like, that's mm -hmm. going to happen at the, at the 11th hour. <laughs> and until the 11th hour, all I can do is just obsessively think about this thing mm -hmm. in the back of my head, but I can't actually like make an outline or like a a rough draft or any of those things. And so I'm like, you're not really, you're not actually procrastinating. Like there's, I think in that, I've heard that like that difference between like the difference between procrastination and laziness, you know, that idea that's like, you're not lazy because you really are obsessively thinking about something. Mm. You're just paralyzed. And like, that mm -hmm. is, I think that's a difference that is really hard to explain or articulate to other people mm -hmm. when you're not 
doing the thing. I can definitely relate to that because I wrote for the school paper. So we would have these deadlines. I have to meet with my editor and then we would go through the whole thing. So before then I would pitch her this idea and I would consistently think about it. So I'll write notes on my phone app. I'll write things on my hand, but I won't actually sit down to write an outline or actually write the thing yet until the day it was due was three hours before I had to meet my editor. And I'm like, okay, I need to write it right now. And sometimes I would write it all on a Google Doc on my phone. And then I would go in and I'm like, okay, I'm ready. But it was never like, I always felt like I could do better. And I would beat myself up. Like, why did I not start two days before, three days before? This could have been such a better article or better written piece. And then I was thinking like, maybe if I did write it beforehand, it wouldn't have been as creative or have that out, out of the box writing or thinking because I was like the procrastination helped me force all of my ideas on the page right then and there. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's what I was trying to say. And you did a much better job of explaining it. (laughs) I'm just that idea of like, even if I did try writing something a few days ahead of time, it never would have been as good. Like the the process must be in my head in order for me to actually be able to get it out. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know I'm very open about my own experiences with therapy. I've been seeing the same therapist for years, and in fact, it was my therapist who first suggested I had ADHD and set me on this personal path of transformation. But it also took a while to find the right fit for me, which is why it's so awesome that online resources like BetterHelp exist. The service is available for clients worldwide, so there's a broad range of expertise, which may not be available locally for a lot of us. Also, it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. If you visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily, there are actually quite a few reviews that specifically reference help with ADHD. As a special offer for listeners of the Women and ADHD podcast, you'll get 10% off your first month. Simply sign up at BetterHelp, that's H-E-L-P dot com slash Women ADHD. So, so now looking back, because you, you, I know you, Nellie, you went to college, do you know, you started and dropped out mm-hmm. or were you just like, fuck it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I dropped out after first year, but I eventually oh. went back and like picked myself up by my bootstraps and got my degree, but it was like pulling teeth getting through that. <laughs> um, but I love the fact that you guys have talked about your differing education experiences because I certainly, I feel like my really, really dismal uh, relationship with university, like really has set the tone for how I thought about myself intellectually, you know, like I always kind of felt like I just kind of like we were talking about, like I just scraped by, I could have done a better job, but I never did. And like, I just always sort of felt like I wasn't smart as a result. Mm. And so my diagnosis has totally transformed kind of my confidence in my intellect where I'm just like, oh, I just learn in totally different ways, like interviewing people and like stuff like that. So Mm. um, just, I guess, looking back at your experience with education, where were you like the signs were always there? Well, for sure, uh, towards the end of high school is when my executive functioning skills at school were deteriorating. And I was like, oh, okay, this is difficult for me. And I think when I entered college, um, I remember the co- the course that was easiest for me or most like aligned with how I work were like the CS courses where you just were graded on overall big projects with the deadline, ironically, um, because I didn't have to keep up with like consistent um, assignments and things. And I just would do everything in the last moment and I would just scrape by that way. But it was definitely really difficult for me without the structure of like 
like a bunch of peers doing the same thing as you and a teacher who's like, I don't know, more invested in you than I think the typical college professor. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and I think definitely going to the boot camp. Uh, I quit after the first year to do a data science boot camp for three months. Um, and it was just like morning to night. Uh, that was the only thing I was thinking about. And I think that's the only way I'm able to learn is either I'm like doing nothing um, and I'm just thinking and can't execute on anything or I'm not focusing or I'm just like really, really, really hyper-focusing on this one tiny thing. Um, yeah, and, and I think it's really confusing because kind of what you mentioned before about how you always see these two very different ends um, being really functional, like really capable or like being really, really like dysfunctional and you're not sure like where you stand. Um, so sometimes I'm like forcing myself to go to the really functional hyper-focused part, even if it's not healthy. <laughs> no, I know. I, I totally understand that, that feeling of like, well, I always sort of felt like that was basically the only thing I had going for me, you know, like I mm. felt like my hyper-focus was like the best version of me. And so I would always like, I, and, and I was actually really terrified to take medication because I thought I was going to lose that. I thought it was going to mm. dull that. I was also terrified that I was going to be like on, feel like I was on cocaine and like <laughs> also something that they say, you know, they're like, no, nobody ever feels like that who has ADHD and is on a stimulant. But uh, what about you, Nelly? Uh, I think in terms of education, um, I think it was really, really difficult for me in high school and college, but in high school, it was different, difficult in a different way where my anxiety, I felt like was so bad in high school because I needed to have high anxiety so I can meet all of these deadlines. And we had like tests and quizzes and all of this homework every single day. And I would um, be into all these extracurriculars and also do research outside of school. So I was getting probably like three hours of sleep every day and trying to keep up with all the schoolwork. And then it was basically like trying to do my homework, the class period before the class I was actually due so like first period would be like on the train the second period would be in first period and that was every single day and trying to keep up with all of these deadlines was so hard for me but I had friends who would remind me like hey Nelly we have an exam tomorrow or things like that and they would share their study guide with me and I feel like that having a support network like that really helped me get through high school but I think going to college it was immensely difficult because you're in a place that's hyper-competitive everyone's intelligent. So that doesn't separate you from anyone else. But the caveat there was everyone else had a great executive functioning and <laughs> I didn't. And I didn't have any of the skills, coping mechanisms, strategies to help me. I was basically kind of like barely surviving all throughout high school. And now I was in college where there wasn't anyone I felt like who related to me in terms of how I worked and could help me because it was expected that you learn planning and prioritization and time management in high school. So now when you got to college, you're supposed to organize your day and you're supposed to get to class, do all this assignment and also internships. And I can never really get things straight. Um, so it was really difficult for me for classes with a lot of different assignments to have everything there on time and um, learn on my own. So for classes I was interested in, I did really well. And for classes that I was not interested in, I did poorly. And I remember just feeling like, oh, maybe I'm not intelligent. I'm just like stupid because everyone else can do this, but I can't. And it started really questioning like who I was and my own identity. Um, and I think that really ate away at me in terms of like my own, like thinking of myself. And I think because to cope with that, I got a full-time job so I can like <laughs> distract myself and say like, oh, at least I'm being productive 
at this workplace. And then I can also do school. And like the reason why I'm not doing well in school is because I'm working. So that gave me kind of like an out or an excuse. So I knew it was my functioning and like organization mm-hmm. part. Um, so I think that really, like it was a really chaotic lifestyle. But once I graduated, it was like, oh, thank God. I remember just like having my senior year. There's this one course like econometrics. I never went to any class. It was basically just like straight up stats, calc, like math. And I didn't go to any class. So that means I had to study myself the week before the final. And somehow I did like, okay. And I got my degree and I was like, thank God. (laughs) I never had to think about this again. But to me, it was actually like basically a miracle. Um, And throughout college, I was actually double majoring. And I had to drop a major because I was not interested in it at all. And I had to make that decision. Like all these courses I took. I was not interested in and accept that I would graduate with a different degree. Yeah. I had, you know, I, it, I always had this sort of assumption that things would work out and then they didn't, you know, like for instance, with studying, like I had this assumption that if I went to class, this was after I dropped out. Like the first time I, my first year was just a disaster. I partied the whole time, never went to class because all of my classes were at like eight 30 and I couldn't understand how people could party and then get up the next day and go to class. <laughs> but I also realized that I was usually the last one at every party. Like I, I had a hard time of, I, I guess I, there was FOMO or whatever. I don't know. Like, I could only do one or the other. And so when I came back to university, I was like, I'm not going to socialize. I'm not going to do anything. I'm Mm going to sit front row center. All of my focus and energy is going to be on this class. And like, I would go to every class and I would take notes and I would, and I would try to participate and I would do all this stuff and I would study and I would still do poorly on the Mm -hmm. tests. And I could, and you know, is that always that feeling of like, what is the combination of things that people are doing Mm -hmm. that I don't know what's miss what's the missing element for me. And so I always kind of lived my life feeling like I had some kind of undiagnosed learning disorder. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then like, I think about like live, being an adult, right? Like there's also ways in which being an adult, I kind of have that same assumption that things are going to work out. So like, I remember the very first time I got my first like postgraduate job and they, they offered me a salary and I've, I naively was sort of like, well, that seems fair. Like you would, you would give me a fair salary because you were a grown up and I am a grown up. And like, I never realized that there was like, you needed to negotiate. And so I sort of figured like, well, this salary should be able to pay for rent, cable, cell phone, like all of these things, car payment. Like I just sort of assumed that the money coming in would then cover all of the things that I found to be essential in life. (laughs) And so I had no idea how to budget anything. I just was like, it's all going to work out. Right. And now I look back and I'm like, God, you're what an idiot. Like, (laughs) but it was sort of like, or even just like looking for apartments. Like I remember the very first apartment I ever got when I was in university had no three pronged outlets. It it was like this really old building. Uh And I remember being Mm -hmm. like, well, that sucks. I guess I should look for those from now on. Right. And so like every time I've ever rented an apartment or bought a house since then, it's like the first thing I do, it's like list adds to my list of like, make sure there's three pronged outlets, which of course now Uh there are, but like there was another time I got an apartment where there was no shower head. I didn't even notice. It was just a bathtub. And, and I didn't notice until I moved in. And I was like, wait a minute, there's no shower in this apartment. And so then I was like, oh, I guess I have to look for that now. You know, it's like, it's just that feeling of like constantly fumbling and not mm-hmm. thinking ahead and not even mm-hmm. knowing like, what was I supposed to be looking for? You know what I mean? Like that. Mm-hmm. Just, and I think it's why so many of us 
feel like we're not adults. Mm. <laughs> you know, and you hear that that phrase a lot with ADHD, which is like everybody got the manual but me. And like I'm trying to think of like the way so many ways in which I feel that way. Mm. Where I'm like, why why is everybody thinking about this stuff? And I just it never occurred to me to think about this stuff. I used to think that I was just spontaneous and I go with the flow and I'm chill <laughs> and I'm so good at adulting. I'm just chill with that. But I realized that a lot of the decisions I make was actually because it was way too overwhelming for me to like sift through the options that I had that I just went through the first one. So like when I moved, uh, when I, like, I think all the times I've moved places, it was, I just, I chose the apartment like the same day or the next day after I decided to move. And it was usually from like this company that's offering, uh, like shared rooms or something, but I was always like, Oh yeah, it's cause I'm simple. I just take the first option. Cause I like to live that way. Haha. But it was actually because, I was way too stressed out to make any kind of decisions. Um, but I am realizing now that I have to do these like decision-making trees or whatever with my therapist. <laughs> uh, it's true though. But you know, at the, on the flip side, I do feel like we are more in tune with like our gut instinct. I think we are more instinctual than your average person. And maybe it's just because like, we don't have that choice. We, we have to just go ahead because the thought of actually doing research on these things is so mind numbing that you're like, I will take, I will take the risk of this first choice as opposed to having to actually do the work of the, the, what is it? What did you call it? Decision tree? Oh yeah. Well, I think I do do that sometimes like obsessively, like for several days, look things up. So that's the alternative. So I don't know anything less than that. So it's like, do I want to do all of that and obsess over this decision for a few days or do I just want to pick one? So it's like one or the other. I don't have like a middle. Right. Yeah. And I think it's, a, it's also really difficult to predict when you're going to have one reaction and when you're going to have the other one, which I think is why we are such mysteries to ourselves. Hey, it's Katie. Do you feel out of control around food? Do you feel mystified by the concept of intuitive eating? Are you wondering how your ADHD plays into your complicated relationship with food and your body? Do you want to make positive changes, but the thought of going on yet another diet makes you want to scream? If you answered yes to any of those questions, then you're going to want to check out my Worth It With Katie small group coaching program. We meet for six consecutive weeks in a small, supportive, virtual group led by yours truly, and we communicate with and support each other in a private online forum throughout the week between our sessions. Each week, we dive deep into our own complicated histories with dieting, and body image, and exercise, and we look at these topics through the lens of ADHD and why so many of us struggle with binge eating and impulsive overeating and poor body image and self-worth. Here's some of the feedback I've been getting from the current participants in the Worth It With Katie group coaching program. One of them says, I am rethinking everything I thought I knew about health and my body. Another one says, I am loving the realness of Katie and all the other participants. This has been life-changing. I have stopped binging and my constant hunger no longer controls my day. My mental health has improved and I am happier than I have been in years. The insights into how my ADHD fits in with my history of yo-yo dieting have been revelatory. Another one says, my thinking about health, food, and my body has changed completely. And finally, this program is so, so, so good. If you're ready to ditch dieting for good and nourish your body from the inside out, head over to my website, worthitwithkatie.com slash coaching. And again, that's worthitwithkatie.com slash coaching. The link is in the episode show notes. Head over to find out more information and claim your spot in the next program. 
you guys talk a lot on the podcast about um, kind of the the stigma around mental health, especially in the Asian American community. And I think it's so important that your voices are out there. Um, so I'm curious, I want to find out kind of what was your family's reaction to your diagnosis? Because you, And you, I want to find out from you, Nellie, if your siblings were also diagnosed or anyone else like what was the reaction? And then I also want to find out what was the re- what's the reaction been from the community to mm-hmm. your podcast in general? I think my sister, she's a licensed social worker. So she has um, talked with a lot of like adults as well as kids with like anxiety, depression, trauma, things like that. So she's really well aware. And I think when I got diagnosed with ADHD, I told her like, oh, I have ADHD. And she was like, I probably have like inattentive ADHD as well. And then like, I think recently, like a couple months ago, she got diagnosed with ADHD and it wasn't a surprise to anyone because when we were younger, she wouldn't do so well in school. She was always like spacey looking around. And I think my parents had the most trouble with her because her grades weren't good. So they were always like yelling and being like, why can't you pay attention? So my mom actually got invited to like, I think her kindergarten class to sit in. And my mom got so angry because she was like, you're the only kid who's looking around while every other kid is paying attention. (laughs) (laughs) So I think like hearing all of that, um, it, you connect the dots later on. So then when um, I told my parents like, oh, like we have ADHD, they were like, what the fuck is that? Like, <laughs> what does that mean? Because I think in Chinese, it's like, like just not talked about. Like, I don't even know the Chinese word to describe it. So I went on Amazon and I tried to find like a book in Chinese so I can like communicate with my parents. But like the most recent book was written in like 2003 or something. And I was like, that's the only research <laughs> they have. And I guess like, I also went to China last year. So I took my Adderall with me at the time. I did not know it was banned in China. So it was technically like illegal to carry it, but because of COVID, no one really checked my bags or anything. So I brought it, but I think it was just so risky because all of these rules, I just thought people should have access to like their like medication and solutions for that. But in China, it's like banned completely. And I didn't know, um, but then communicating with my parents, I feel like they still have a really hard time understanding like, what ADHD is, like how it affects me. Um, And I think that put a lot of strain on our relationship. So I was always really moody and irritable because I felt like I was always misunderstood. Um, And they were just kind of like, why can't you be this like perfect daughter that they had envisioned? And I hated rules. I hated following directions. I hated all of that structure. And I feel like my ADHD made it worse for me in terms of communicating with them and they just couldn't understand me. But I think knowing that I do have something because I feel like they made jokes when I was younger, like there's something in your brain, like the wires are crossed or something. They're like, (laughs) why do you not do this? But I feel like now they're like, oh, it is that ADHD. And like, if I am forgetful or like I had, I used to have my glasses on my head and I would walk around. I'm like, where are my glasses? I can't find them. And they're like, it's right on top of your head. And I feel like I catch myself doing things like that and trying to retrain myself to not act impulsively or just like be irritated and try to understand my emotions more. So then I can communicate to my parents like, oh, when you say this, it makes me feel this way. Um, And I think my sister has been super crucial in this whole dynamic because she has the tools and the experience to like navigate our um, whole dynamic and experience. And my parents have been a lot more accepting to like therapy and this type of treatment because I was like, 
if you don't believe in therapy, my sister would be out of a job. And they're like, oh, you're right. Okay, cool, cool. I think it works. So I think they have come all around in terms of like mental health in the community. Mm-hmm. And what about you, Juno? Because you you also had your brother kind of paved the way a bit for you, right? Yeah. Um, so my brother was diagnosed with ADHD and bipolar disorder in high school. And I think... Um, Similar to Nelly, my parents were just like, wait, what? <laughs> what is ADHD? And I so think who was it a teacher that recommended he get diagnosed or how, would, um, how did that even happen? I think he struggled. So like throughout middle school and elementary school, he was fine. But in high school, he like really, really struggled to even do like homework or do tests or anything um, because he was just so not motivated and he couldn't. Um, and also he was in a, also in a very competitive high school like Stuyvesant in New York. Um, so I think in comparison, because I always saw what he was doing, I thought like, there's no way I have ADHD and there's no way I have bipolar disorder. And I think everyone in our family thought of it as like a very, very serious, like crippling thing. Um, so I think when I first told my mom that I went to psychiatrist, it was more like, wait, why are you spending money? How expensive is that? Like what? <laughs> and then I think when I was trying to explain to my grandparents and my uncle, they were just kind of like, what do you mean? I thought you were like the, you're like the most functioning one in our family, like you have no issues. And I was like, oh, because I feel like I spent so much of my childhood, I guess, uh, hiding my struggles um, and trying to pretend like everything's okay. And I think I'm learning now to like, I guess, open up to my family a little bit more and expose when I'm struggling. And because in the past, when I was procrastinating things, my mom would get really upset with me thinking that I was just being super lazy. But now she's kind of like, I don't know. She looks at me a little bit pitifully, <laughs> but she like understands that it's something I struggle with and not, um, yeah, not just like a choice. I feel like when you guys, you guys have talked about like this, this idea of that academic pressure and how it just sort of forms a powder keg almost in, in situations where it's like, you are you're like, you're internalizing all of that struggle and you're, you're, I think females especially too, right? Like we, Mm. we're the good ones we aren't disruptive and um you know like your uncle said like you're the you're the well you're the one well-behaved one Um, (laughs) and I don't even know what I'm talking about I'm just totally rambling at this point (laughs) no I think that's correct because I think even um in high school when I started taking CS classes as like a female in a male-dominated industry I guess there's a lot of times I have to be very cautious of how I'm presenting myself and making sure I sound really confident and I know what I'm talking about. And I think I have to do that both because I'm a girl and also because of ADHD and I'm just, everything's like a big blur. Sometimes I'm not very aware of what's happening internally and I'm only focused on like what I'm being perceived as. And I feel like I spend so much time making sure that I seem functional and I'm communicating, like getting across the right way and everything that I just like forget what's happening on the inside. And like, even when I was uh, living, uh, even when I was like in Denver and I was working at a job and I was, uh, I was living ish with my ex-boyfriend at the time, even to him, I would hide everything I was struggling with. So to my coworkers, to my friends, to my family that I called to my ex-boyfriend, nobody would know that I'm struggling, that I would just even forget that I was struggling. Yeah. I think that goes back to kind of what we were talking about before with that feeling of like, I, I don't actually work hard. And so therefore I am kind of fundamentally lazy and like that. I, that idea of like when somebody says a term and you're not familiar with it, instead of saying, what is that? Which you are smart enough to be in the room and to ask those questions. But our response is always like, must Google later, pretend you know what <laughs> you're talking about. <laughs> right? 
uh, as though you're going to get found out, you know, like you're Mm going to get, it's going to get uncovered that you don't actually belong here. And I feel like, like we kind of live with that low level anxiety all the time. So another thing that kind of blew my mind when you're, I think it was the episode about being naked, right? Um, when Juno, you were talking about like the difference between being vulnerable and being an open book. And I was like, oh, like it totally, I never thought about it that way because I've often been told, like, I am an open book. I have no self-censor. I have no ability to like keep things in. And so I just blurt out thoughts. And I always kind of joked that I was like Sophia from the Golden Girls. And I must've had a stroke because I can't like, I can't keep my thoughts inside. I don't know (laughs) when I'm supposed to censor or when I'm not. And I, but I also like, am an open book when it comes to like my ADHD. Like I didn't even think about the fact that I shouldn't tell people about it. And like, I didn't even realize that there was this stigma until it was already out there. And then people are like, I'm so sorry to hear about your diagnosis. And I'm like, I don't, it's not terminal. It's not like I've got two years to live. Like you don't have, you have no idea what I'm talking about. So forget it. I'm not even going to try to just explain it to you. But the fact, but you know, I've often been told like, you're so vulnerable because you talk about things without shame. And so many of us can't talk about those things. And you're doing this service to the community, whether it's, you know, I've talked openly about like binge eating and dieting and all of these things that like, I've always been an open book about, but it never occurred to me that like, that is actually not vulnerability, right? Like vulnerability is really opening up about the things that you really struggle with. And like these, all of these things that I'm an open book about, I'm like, I don't struggle with those. And like, I've always kind of talked about like, if I say I'm, if I make a joke about how like, oh my God, I'm a hot mess. In that moment, I don't feel like a hot mess. If I really, in the moment when I feel like a hot mess, you're, I'm not going to say anything. You're not going to hear from me. And like, those are the moments when people are really struggling, right? When they're not saying a word. And so I just thank you for that. Like, that beautiful, <laughs> I loved that every, that episode was so good, but like, I just, it's been made me really think about that difference between, you know, what, you know, how vulnerability is really just something truly, really difficult. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what has it been like to be like such an open book, especially in the Asian American community with this podcast? Cause you guys really let it all out there. <laughs> I don't even think we're super conscious of it all the time. I think Nellie was mentioning the other day that like <laughs> she was talking to a friend recently and remembers what she said in our podcast and we talked to her and it's just like, what? Because yeah, I don't I know remember it. all the time. I feel like I'm talking with Nellie and people bring this up like, oh yeah, I remember this. Oh yeah, because of this. And I'm like, whoa, oh, okay. <laughs> I have a friend who I talk to and sh- and she mentioned like, hey Nellie, in episode like five, you said this. And I remember you said this. So I, like, that's funny. And I'm like, I said that? <laughs> I think it's when I talk to Juno and we're talking to podcasts, we see each other. So it feels like we're talking to each other and not necessarily like all of these other faces that we don't hear because on a podcast, it's, you don't see faces. You just see like hear people's voices and you can really be, I guess, as open and vulnerable and just talk about your most innermost thoughts um, in, a, I guess, like open book manner. Um, and then I think being really open and vulnerable, I, I was watching this like, Kristen Bell video on YouTube where she talks about her depression and I love what she said she was like at my age there should be nothing that's taboo and she talks openly with her kids about sex and her depression and things like that and I was thinking about like that's true everything that we've ever felt or thought some other human has probably thought it felt it so why is it that it 
our society considers things taboo or we shouldn't talk about these things. So for me, I try to remind myself like, Everyone goes through this at one point of their life or another. These feelings, they're not unique to me. So I think talking about it really reinforces that I'm living this life that is true to what I believe. Like, I don't think this should be shameful. I'm not ashamed of my ADHD or my anxiety or like all the struggles that I've been through or anything. I think it's, you make mistakes as like a human being, then you learn from it and then you evolve and then you become a better person and owning up to things that you have made mistakes about in the past or like things that you fucked up on and being vulnerable and being able to curse and being able to be authentically yourself. I'm, I create, I feel like when we have these conversations, we do create value. And if someone else out there hears this conversation and it brings them some sort of comfort or connection and they feel less alone, I feel like that's basically the message that we want to put out into the world and if other people will discriminate me or have this stigma that oh I don't want to hire this person work with this person that's a reflection on them and I really try to think about the message that we're sending out instead of like oh like they're gonna find out things about this but I'm but then I'm just like oh it's fine like things happen things get fucked up and sharing all of the struggles makes it feel like we're more connected because everyone has these struggles. Yeah, right. And I think, yeah, I, I sort of feel like so many of these podcasts and that that desire for advocacy comes from feeling like, oh my God, I struggled for so long. I had no idea what was happening. If I can help one person come to the same realizations I did and not feel like shit all the time, like that would be, that would be, uh, make it all worth it. And yeah. And I think that's when something I love about your podcast too, is like listening to the two of you, like that you have each other and that you have this history together and like how much you guys validate each other, I think is really beautiful. Mm -hmm. Cause it's sort of like what, as a listener, you're having those moments when you're listening to the podcast and you're like, Oh my God, yes. Oh my God. Yes. But the fact that you guys are kind of doing it in real time and you've got this history and this friendship and think it's very lovely. So what made you even decide to start the podcast? Were you like, we're having such amazing mind-blowing conversations, we might as well record them? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh I think we were in a conversation with um, Nellie's close friend. And I think, Nellie, I think you said that you've been talking about it with her a lot, but she wasn't like totally getting what was like you versus ADHD. And I was just repeating everything that Nellie was going through. She was just like shocked <laughs> at how much we had in common. So she was like, you guys should definitely do a podcast. I think it all started from, I guess, like me and Juno were talking about our struggles. We were like, we both work in tech. So we're like, let's do some market research and we can create our own solution. Like there must be some sort of technology that we can leverage or build ourselves and have our own task management application so we can help ourselves because there is no app that I've found that helps me. I've tried Asana, Trello, ClickUp, all of these different things I've tried and I haven't stuck with it. Um, so when we're doing market research on high functioning people and how they work, so maybe if they have some sort of system or strategy, maybe we can build it into this app. So I was interviewing um, my close friend and she is the most organized person I know. She's great with planning, prioritizing. And I was talking to her and all of our struggles. So when me and Juno started talking about like what we really struggle with in terms of like getting things done and working on a deadline, she was like, oh, that's so interesting that you mentioned this because I just thought it was a Nelly thing. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, it's not a Nelly thing. It's an ADHD thing. She was like, you guys should start a podcast and talk about this. Um, but I think me and Juno were really 
I guess we were afraid of the stigma and the backlash. So we actually kept our last name out of our website. (laughs) (laughs) It was like intentionally designed that way. But then slowly we added in our last name to like um, social media things. And people have been reaching out to us in terms of like, saying that we really they really resonated with our stories and they connect with us and I had someone reach out to me with like through LinkedIn and I had a coffee chat with her and she was a student um I think in her senior year and she was saying how like thank you so much for sharing your story um and she was telling me about her mental health journey and how she is starting her own blog to write about her own experiences and I was like I'm so happy that this inspired you and she was saying how even though there is stigma out there. If someone doesn't want to hire her because of that, she wouldn't want to work for that company anyway. And I was like, you know what? You're right. That That's true. <laughs> so I don't feel any more shame in terms of like being out in the open with what I do struggle with and trying to destigmatize and normalize mental health conversations. I think especially in this past year and the pandemic and working from home and like there's been so many mental health issues that have come to light that I feel like, yeah, if we are kind of turning the ship around and and taking the stigma out of a lot of these conversations, that it will eventually kind of filter into the workplace and HR or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the app, I've just come to grips with the fact that like, I'm going to be super into an app for about a month <laughs> and, and then I'll move on. There's nothing that's ever going to work for me long-term, maybe. I don't know. But you're, so you're both on medication. Um, how has it, how have you found that to be life-changing? In the beginning, when I was still in denial about ADHD, I think Adderall really solidified what my issues were because in the beginning, if I got distracted and I couldn't focus, I would get excited about something else and go on and do that other thing. But I think with Adderall, it like forced me to stay in my seat and I stared at my computer screen, but it was just now, instead of like going in circles and running around, I was just like standing still and I couldn't move forward. So it was became very, very clear to me that I had an issue with like prioritization execution. And it wasn't just a lazy thing or procrastination thing. It was like, I didn't know how to proceed because of executive dysfunction thing. Um, So I think it's, it hasn't been very consistent with it. It's been like on and off, but I think right now for sure, um, it makes a huge difference in my ability to just find work less overwhelming. Um, I had a little bit of a hiccup in the beginning because I wasn't managing my bipolar disorder. And I think I was using it as a crutch for when I was depressed. Um, and yeah, that was kind of messing it up. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm still figuring out what works out best, but I think right now the most important meds for me were the Um, with stabilizers and the antidepressant I take for my bipolar disorder and ADHD as like as needed for work. I think for me, I take Adderall, like the XR, so I can like do my work for work. Um, It has helped me a lot in terms of like not spending like like a lot of hours writing a short email or like trying to start something. And I'm like, oh, I get a Slack message. I'm like, I need to answer that now. And then I answer that. And I'm like, oh my God, what was I doing? And on my computer, I have always like five plus windows open. And in each window, I have around like 90 to like 100 something tabs. And it would <laughs> crash my computer all the time. So I feel like my working style is really chaotic. But with Adderall, it really helps me. Like I make a list of the things I have to do and have to cross everything out. And I still have struggles with like staying on task. And that's why I realized that I need times where I'm blocked off and I'm like, I can't answer any emails or slacks or anything. I need to do like this one piece of work. I think it's still like an ongoing battle of like trying to see what works and what doesn't work. 
Um, but I think the main thing is I need to find a task interesting or try to make it interesting. So I like actually go and like do it instead of it being this like painful dreading feeling that I always feel doing this task that I don't like doing. And I also have like a lot of fidget toys around me so I can like fidget and like <laughs> do other things with my hands so I can like focus. And I think for my job, I'm always in a lot of meetings. I hate turning on my camera because it distracts me. So I like don't. And that's how I can stay focused and listen to the meeting and what's going on. But I also like mute myself so I can play with my fidget toys and not like make those noises that distracts other people. But I think like in the workplace, I'm really cognizant of like when other people turn their like camera off or they're muted. I know that not everyone um, has that same like, like normal thing where everyone turns on their camera. It's like, you don't know what other people are struggling with or like, what their home life is or what they're distracted by or like the struggles that they have. So I think it's important that I know my struggles that I am really cognizant. So if other people like don't want meetings and they like slacks or emails, I'm like, yeah, that works perfectly fine. As long as communication is in different channels. Um, so I feel like I try to make things more accessible to other people as well, because I know that's the same struggle that I deal with. So the interview that you had with Jill Chang, I really had never thought about, because I'm always questioning, am I an introvert? Am I not an introvert? There's so many ways in which I think I am an introvert, especially this past year and how like how much gratitude I've had for not having to see people, um, <laughs> except for my family, like my immediate family. Um, but at the same time, like I love conversation, you know, and I love like th this kind of socializing. I, I don't want to go to a party, but like I love, you know, having deep conversations and I really like feel energized from them. Um, but I had never really thought about that idea of like how much work is put into kind of um, managing expectations, you know, like she was talking about just sort of the way in which you kind of have to like map out almost like talking to the mirror, you know, where you're like, you build these scripts when you're an introvert where I don't know, maybe mm -hmm. it's not an introvert. Maybe it's just everybody. I, but like, you know how you have to kind of have, you you have to anticipate what somebody might say to you. And then you have these like scripts a lot of the time that you have to, does that make sense? Where I'm I like, do that a lot. Yeah. Like I, there's a lot of that kind of uh, anticipating how a conversation is going to go so that you aren't totally flustered and immediately shut down. And so then it's almost like choose your own adventure. Like you have to kind <laughs> of like pick. Um, so would you say you're an introvert or an extrovert or you don't freaking know? I would say I'm an extrovert, but for like conversations that are like professional networking, I do have to like anticipate what other people are going to ask me and what I would say, because I think there is like that fine line between being like casual and then professional, because I think like what you said, I am, I will just blur everything out. <laughs> and sometimes it's like inappropriate, like, oh, this is not the setting to say th that thing. So I always have to like do this whole like tree of like, is this appropriate? No, this is not appropriate. Like some people are like really uptight and they're like, let's keep things strictly professional. So like, I'm like, okay, don't curse. You can't do this. You can't say that. Like you have to like keep on task and on focus. So if they ask you a question, I can't like go on a tangent about something else. That's not relevant, Nelly. Like you have to answer the question and then ask another question about this. I think it's really hard for me to predict like natural flows of a conversation of, because I think things that people think are unrelated to me. It's like, it's relevant because there's so many thoughts <laughs> in my head. So it's trying to filter out things that are not relevant and trying to like, I guess, not be a weirdo in right? terms of like 
coming off like, oh, like this person is strange. I don't want to work with them. So I think that's my main concern. But I think in my personal life, I'm so talkative and I love meeting people and having these conversations. But at work, I am so much more aware and so much more energy consuming because I need to like stay on task. What about you, Juno? Would you say you're an introvert or an extrovert? According to tests and stuff, I'm an extrovert. But <laughs> definitely a lot of times I feel like like an introvert. I think it's confusing to me because I have varying levels of like energy um, and my mood, I guess, depending mm-hmm. on my point in life. Um, but I definitely think that uh, I do better in like one-on-one situations than group situations sometimes because it's like you mentioned, it's easier to like predict what's going to happen next. And I feel like one thing that's difficult for me is either I'm like completely absorbed in my own head and I'm daydreaming and I can't hear the other person or I'm completely absorbed in just them. And I ask a bunch of questions and I want to understand them, but I don't talk about myself at all. Or I'm like really absorbed in my head and I'm talking about it and I'm not really hearing what they're saying. So I feel like it's very difficult for me to like manage everything very carefully and be very conscious about like two people being present in the room and having a conversation. Um, So it is a little bit draining if I do that for too long, but yeah, I would say I, I am. I do need like socializing and extra. It's either like I need to be one on one or like a really big group of people. We can like jump around. Yeah. That's OK. If you have a short intention span, you can jump here and then have another <laughs> time to jump here. And it's totally normal. And <laughs> you're allowed to disappear every few seconds. Well, and I think you also like when there's more than one person there, you have a tendency to kind of deflect because you have too much to say with every quest, you know, so if someone's like, how are you? And you're like, how am I? Do you have three hours to listen to how I am? And so the, then the other option is like, good, you <laughs> like immediately <laughs> deflect. And then like, you're so quiet. I get told that my whole life. You're so quiet. I'm like, no, I'm not. I really just don't like you. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, so the, another thing on the, uh, another thing I love about your podcast, which, uh, Um, I hope this comes out the wrong or the right way, which is, I love that you guys don't have the kind of podcast, which we see a lot of with ADHD, which is like, here's five ways that you can master your calendar, right? Mm -hmm. Where you're basically just like, let's talk about how crazy this is. But it's also not just like, this is a disorder, you know, Mm -hmm. like, I feel like you really have that balance really well between like, the kind of toxic positivity side of like, this is a superpower. And everybody who was ever smart and genius has ADHD and you do too. And then the other (laughs) thing, which is like, like, you know, I'm sorry about your terminal illness or, or like, you know, really like talking about the struggle a lot. Um, so I feel like I really love that you balance that. And I feel like it's very real and it's very relatable as a result. Um, so thank you for that. Uh, but I do want to know, you know, I do like to ask, like, what do you love about your ADHD? Really quick before that, um, you are mentioning that you uh, really love that we are not necessarily focusing on like just ADHD or like topics or whatever. I think that's part of the reason why we were more comfortable um, exposing ourselves and letting our coworkers or friends see this. Because I think when I was first looking at uh, why someone would do a podcast, I came across like, oh, it's a chance to be, it's like the most authentic mode of communication or whatever. And I was like, oh, wow, that's really cool. Um, And I think we're normalizing ADHD, not by, uh, necessarily like showing how many people have ADHD or whatever, but just showing that we're real people. And we talk about other experiences in life, other issues we have mental health related or not. Um, And I think 
un, like even a lot of neurotypicals in our audience have reached out saying that re they related to a lot of our struggles and experiences, which is really nice because then people see like, oh yeah, we're just people and we have different um, degrees of struggle with certain things. But um, yeah, I think people just are encouraged to see uh, us opening up and being vulnerable about our issues and they are encouraged to do the same. So, and as for, I guess, what I love about my ADHD, um, I think one thing is that sometimes because of our lack of dopamine or whatever, we have, we find boredom so unbearable or structure so, so unbearable that we're like forced to find something more interesting. That was definitely the case with my college dropout story. A lot of people think it's like, oh, wow, tech dropout, like so ambitious, risky. I want to do it. It was out of necessity. And I think like when I was doing a meetup um, in Denver and I was struggling with my job, I had to start a meetup and be involved in another meetup because I needed something else to do. And even for our podcast and like what we're doing now, it's like, we know we can't survive in a regular nine to five forever. So we have to do something more interesting. So I definitely like that part of ADHD. What do you love, Nelly? Um, I think for me, I love most about my ADHD is like my curiosity and passion. I think with the hyper-focus and being super curious about learning and the love to learn, I think I can, once I'm like really interested in something, I will find all of the information out on like Google and the internet and I will study it. I think so when I first got interested like in learning more about ADHD, all I could think about was learning about it. So I watched like everything on YouTube. Then I went on PubMed and like Googled everything and I read it. Um, <laughs> and I think for everything else, like if I am interested, I become like the go-to expert within like a week or like two weeks. And then I'm like, oh, okay, another thing that I am interested in. So I will always have like a pocket full of fun facts that I can whip out. And if someone's like, oh, I'm interested in like something like philosophy, I'm like, oh, I read something about that. And then they'll ask me for more questions. I'm like, oh, sorry, I don't know anymore. Because <laughs> then I got <laughs> interested in something else. Um, and I would also say like being able to have so many different interests and passions, you can connect a lot of the themes and patterns that other people might not be able to see because they're only studying that one specific field or industry. But because I'm interested in so many things, I see the patterns across like various different fields and interests and being able to connect the dots and being able to think outside of the box. And I think being neurodiverse allows you not to think in such a linear fashion, but being able to kind of expand laterally. Um, and I also think like my ADHD kind of ties into my personality. And I would like to say that I, I see myself really charismatic and entertaining and kind of down to earth. So I've always had friends tell me like, oh, you're so easy to talk to and like, like amusing. And I'm like, oh, great. Thank you. <laughs> I do think it's because like, like a lot of my quirks where I like see something and I'm like, okay, every, every time I'm in like a grocery store, I'm like, oh, chocolate. And I'll like walk there. So I feel like it, my kind of like a childlike sense of like fascination with the world is still kept in. So like my favorite bug is the little prince. And I really love seeing things with like a fresh, like view set and fresh eyes. And I feel like I can still keep sort of some of that like within me because of like ADHD and how my brain works. So, yeah, I mean, I guess I, if, if it's not obvious, I love your podcast and what you're doing. And I'm so, um, I'm so glad you guys are doing this and I look forward to so many more episodes and, um, yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much guys for taking the time to talk with me and tell me your story. And I really like chatting with you. Thank you. Katie. Thank you so much for having us. It was really nice meeting you. There you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. Also, 
As you know, we ADHDers crave feedback, and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. Please take a moment to leave me a review over on my website, womenandadhd.com, or on Apple Podcasts, or Audible, or whatever other platform you're using. And if that feels like too much, and I get it, then just take a few seconds to give me a five-star rating. Boom, done. Or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this neurodivergent superpower, and they may be struggling and they don't even know why. Make sure to tag me on Instagram or Twitter. I'm at women and ADHD. If you are a woman who was diagnosed with ADHD in adulthood and you'd like to be interviewed as a guest on this podcast, please reach out to me. My email is womenandadhdpodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to know more about me, head over to worthitwithkatie.com. That's where I help other women with ADHD break free from the yo-yo dieting and binge eating cycle for good. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who has recently discovered that she is not lazy or crazy, but she has ADHD. And now she's on the path to understanding that neurodivergence and finally using it to her advantage. Take care till then.